Chopping Wood Inside Podcast, the Twin Peaks podcast for conspiracy theorists and aficionados. I am your host, Murphy. Tom, dude, are you out there? He's back, baby. Agent Cooper is back. He is back, finally. 16 episodes. We've been waiting for uh, the whole season, and we got it. What a fantastic uh, episode full of all kinds of uh, thrill spills. I think four deaths, uh, some crazy twists and turns. Where do you want to start? Well, overall, just uh, first impressions, What I, I mean, really just a, an incredible episode right off uh, the bat in the beginning, uh, the opening scene with uh, Mr. C and little Dickie Horn, um, shades of part nine, or excuse me, part eight with Ray and Mr. C driving, you know, ominously down a dark road, POV shots. With a different uh, soundtrack of some kind that I really liked. It was more even different ominous music. Uh, yeah, I agree. But yeah. overall, this was just, I think the first, at least the first half, maybe even the first two thirds, there were no scenes in Twin Peaks. I think there was just the one scene in Twin Peaks at the Roadhouse at the end. Is that correct? Yeah. I mean, there was not that many scenes either. There was a lot of long scenes. You know, there, was, there wasn't a lot of jumping around this episode. Yeah. So we, we wrapped up Las Vegas and the FBI is still in Buckhorn, which I find comical. I don't think they're going to be there too much longer. But they've really been just sitting around in hotel rooms for uh, for days or weeks, maybe. Yeah, Who I was knows? like wondering what's going Cole doing in there. It looked like he was in some Buddha Zen like trance. Like I don't. He was waiting, like listening for the little man or somebody to like to beep out some messages or like Briggs through all the computers. <laughs> He's in there <laughs> listening to the hum. And uh, even when uh, we'll talk about Diane scene later, but even when she shows up, he still he doesn't really say anything. He's like in this reverie of some kind. It's very interesting. Yeah, he that when that uh, scene, um, you know, uh, when I when the scene came up, and it's just Cole in the room with all the machines and gadgets, and he's just looking around. Um, I was just I just lost it. I, I was laughing hysterically. It was only like a thirty second scene. Uh, this little one of these non sequitur scenes that I call and I just that I call and I just thought it was hilarious. Well, Absolutely like, what, what, hilarious. What are they crenching? What information are they crenching in those? Computers? I don't know. Like, exactly what? I'd love I to know. know. I don't know. <laughs> but put, what information? I know. Uh, yeah, it's a mystery. Well, did it live up to your expectations? So here we right towards the end, uh, part sixteen. I know oh, that. Yeah. Dude, no, it, absolutely. I think it did for all the fans. It was like fan service five that million. You know, I think it really like hit every note, right? I mean, I, boy, Diane. Well, let's just start at the top because I don't want to spoil anything. Because if people maybe have, just want to listen to this before they watch the episode, we'll go ahead and tell it to you in narrative link. Because we had like five giant like reveals that probably would have sufficed for one episode, a normal episode, but we got yeah. everything packed in. So. Yeah. Well, we started like I said, driving scene at night with Little Dicky Horn and. Mr. C and there's no dialogue in the car but uh, as they approach this location um, it's it's not a familiar uh, setting we're assuming that they're in Washington State since the farm was in western Montana and uh, I'm assuming that Mr. C was actually you know, looking for the coordinates or the location 
um, from the coordinates that he got from three different people, which we'll discuss. Um, it looked like they weren't later. like having a lot of paternal father-son talks. <laughs> like we thought was going to happen. No, they didn't. Did you notice that. little Dickie Horn like looking over at you know, Papa every once in a while? <laughs> yeah, he was like James Dean. He was like, please, Dad, talk to me. Like uh, East of Eden. Like, I could see a little yearning for Dad to talk to him. But Dad, was just, he's from the old school. He's from the 50s. Right. So they actually uh, come to that location and they get out. And I think, you know, that's where the the dialogue starts. And I think one of the first thing, first things Mr. C says is I'm looking for a place. And, uh, you know, and uh, little Dickie Horn says a place and kind of mimicking him. And uh, basically what what, uh, Mr. C says is that he received coordinates um, from three different people and two of them matched one of them obviously didn't. And then, then he throws it to little Dickie Horn. What would you do? And, you know, the little hamster in, in the head starts spinning. And uh, he responds, well, I think I'd go with uh, the two that matched. And uh, Mr. C agrees. And then they start walking towards this rock in the distance, where I'm assuming is the location or the place where these coordinates lead to. And then all of a sudden, we cut away. And who do we see? Jerry Horn, who looks like a fucking woodsman, coming out like a mad woodsman, like Windham Earl mixed with a woodsman. <laughs> and he looks like he's just rolling up to come see the spot himself. Like perhaps he's been going into this, this area. It's like a portal or some sort of zone. But then he stumbles upon our friends and just stops and freaks out. And he's clearly higher than shit. You know, and I, you forgot to mention, like, what was up with Mr. C's, like, uh, headlamps, his floodlights? They seem like they were from the Black Lodge. There's some weird things going on with those lights. Yeah, he was like, <laughs> using them as directionals, I think, to focus in on that rock is what I suspect. I could There's some, wrong. like, sound effects. There's some sound designs. There's, there's some strange things going on. Yeah, yeah. Like, well, like I, I usually don't watch the episode with headphones right off the bat, and then I'll watch it, like, on a rewatch to pick up the subtleties. But I didn't notice um, anything. Like well, it's amazing. We, before before this episode started, you're like, I hope we see some Ben and Jerry. And boom, we did. And we, you also even predicted the first scene. So it was like this. I was in like ultimate tension level. I didn't know what was going to happen, but I felt like he was going to like set him up and have him killed. <laughs> well, yeah, but with Jerry first, I Here, thought go that. Go up there. Go up there. Go right. Well, we knew, like right? I mean, it's like when De Niro's trying to get Lorraine Brock. Like, oh, <laughs> with the addresses? Yeah. Right? Up there. Up there. Yeah, oh, but with uh, Jerry. Running, the first thing that I think about obviously is we've got to be near Twin Peaks because I don't think he pulled a Forrest Gump and you know with no. the jogging scene and we're in you <laughs> not know, with that form, <laughs> right. That form. <laughs> right? So that was that was a great uh, you know cue um, or clue and um, the binoculars thing. You want to talk about that? Well, yeah, but also the fact that he just I don't know if he's running to something or running from something. What do you think? Well, I thought I haven't watched it. Like, did he? Wasn't he saying something like singing a song or saying something to himself? I thought on the way to there, and I thought he alluded to something like he was going to some place. But maybe I've made. Maybe he wasn't saying anything, and I made that up completely. I don't think he said anything until he like actually stopped, got his bearings, and he noticed the truck. Well, he seemed that, like somebody like a vacationer who would like had his like beach ball and his like tons hand lotion and like his towel. He was like running towards the beach. Like he's like, yeah, I'm gonna beach time. We're gonna go have fun. Like he was gonna go have some fun in the lodge. <laughs> and he got stopped. He was like, oh shit. Like you know. But then he thought that I think he thought he hallucinated the whole thing because he ended up blaming the whole thing on his binoculars anyway. Right? Well, yeah, he said. I think his first line is people. Like he was like you know because he's been in the woods for for so long. He's but he had gone completely gray. He was getting very dirty and like his beard was getting whiter or gray. Or he was looking little 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 uh, threadbare. Well, we can't really trust the Twin Peaks timeline because there's been so many inconsistencies, whether deliberate or not. But if we want to 
go on a consistent timeline, Jerry has been in the woods since I want to say part five when he was listening yeah. to Dr. Amp. Yep. Yeah. So my, what I think now that he pulled out the binoculars, maybe if in part five, what he did was to go maybe birdwatch and uh, with his binoculars and his marijuana and listen to Dr. Amp and then, you know, have a good time and then return to, uh, you know, business as usual. But obviously something happened and he's been lost, trapped, what have you, for maybe a week or so. And uh, he, he actually looks through the wrong end of the binoculars, which I don't know if that was deliberate or not. Well, yeah, but, Lynch uh, used that as a technique for his directorial style, which is really cool. It's very interesting, like a little, I don't know what you call that, the walleye. Or, no, what do you call that, little uh, iris? Or what, what, They used it to, it, we got to see the image of what it looked like for him, which made it look a little further away. But just a little Well, yeah, that's the whole thing, yeah. Level. Yeah, what, when, when Mr. C and Little Dicky Horn are walking towards the rock, and uh, it's a little bit of a, a trek. And then Mr. C stops him. And doesn't he say something like, well, uh, you're, uh, you know, 25 I'm years. 25 years. Yeah. <laughs> or, or, yeah. Or, <laughs> but I find it interesting because Cooper wasn't 25 in the original series, I don't think. Was he? Uh, well, no, see, you're 25 years my junior, like 25 years younger than me. Right. So. Oh, okay. My, okay. Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah. So, and little Dickie Horn, just, there's just not exactly much going on upstairs. Time. He knows exactly when he's well, born. Okay. Well, he is a doppelganger, so. But <laughs> no, uh, I'm saying he knows when D- little Dickie Horn's born because he was there. Oh well, yeah, yeah, you're right because there's a there's a great payoff at the end of this scene that we'll get to. But uh, so what he does is he tells little Dickie Horn he gives him some kind of device, whether it's a phone, a tracking device, and tells him to go on that rock and instructs him that it'll start beeping, and then I guess when it stops beeping, to tell Mister C what he finds, and little Dickie Horn. You know, takes direction very well and goes to the, and it is that rock. And he, you know, kind of climbs on top of the rock and we hear the beeping. And then as soon as it stops, he says, I've got it. And then bam, there's this just potent flash of electricity. And he's just, you know, I mean, I don't, he's not spontaneously combusting, but he's actually being uh, like slowly, he's slowly disintegrating or he blows up actually. And uh, my thoughts, well, I, don't, I thought he just blew, like he blew up. Did he disappear? Yeah. Well, or yeah, he was disintegrated somehow. I think he, his head looked, his head particularly blew up. And then he turned to like some sort of dust. I thought for a second when they cut up to it that he was going to crawl up like, I'm fine. Like, you know, because you saw a little <laughs> second where he could have crawled back and, hey. But uh, well, yeah, no, it was also reminiscent of like, um, kind of like Wyndham Merle getting his head blown off in the lodge a little bit, you know, or wasn't there scenes where like, or maybe it was Leland, but someone, their head turned to fire, you know, when they were levitated by Bob. Well, his that was turned to fire a little bit there. <laughs> yeah. There was no levitation in the end of the, no, but uh, I'm saying, you know, I'm saying there's a little, little yeah, real, yeah. real world, you know, similarities there in terms of the electricity now being fire, you know, and that was an electrical, it was like a, geez, Dougie got how many volts in Las Vegas? I wonder how many volts went through little Dickie horn there. Right. Exactly. Dickie, yeah. Well, obviously, I think Mr. C, knowing that he had coordinates, um, he had two or actually three sets of coordinates, actually two sets of coordinates, two matched, and suspected that this may be a trap and used Little Dicky Horn as a pawn. And as they were approaching the rock, you could just I could just see Mr. C's even before this was unfolding. I didn't know it was going to happen. That his expression was like, well, you know, he's exactly that. He's using him. He knows that something's going to happen and he probably suspects it's not going to have a happy ending. And as soon as Little Dicky Horn expires, 
um, Mr. C has one line, and it's, uh, was it good? Well, well, goodbye, my son. Is that what he said? <laughs> yeah, like farewell, my son, or something like Fair that. Was. Like, goodbye, my son. I don't know what he said, but it was the total Darth Vader. Like, yeah. it was a great Darth Vader move, wasn't it? He Darth Vader just like he really pulled a cr- cruel move on his son. That's wild. That's some cold shit, man. Well, do you want to get into right now the whole thing about the coordinates and uh, how they relate, or do you want to wait until we start talking about Diane? Because uh, I think it's I don't know. She's yeah, let's a part talk about that, yeah, let's talk about it with Diane because we'll, we'll leave. Okay, her. all right. Well, we next go to um, the uh, exterior of the uh, the Jones re- uh, residence, and Chantal and, and Hutch um, arrive in a black van, and I thought I immediately started laughing because in our lot last podcast, you because I I posited that we might have a scene with uh, Cooper in the hospital just seemingly that that would be the normal chain of events after electrocuting himself. And then you went with, Oh yeah. Well, they're yeah. They're going to be orderlies and that they, <laughs> they were orderlies, but they were dressed in painter outfits. I knew some right. they had costumes and they did. They had some chips and uh, they were staking out uh, Dougie's place. Um, yeah. I just, I, there they were, but no Dougie was there. So they just, no. And the FBI him. showed up. Yeah. And, <laughs> I love uh, the guy, the FBI, like it wasn't like Wilson, but it was the other guy like pull when he pulled up, they were just giving him the dead eye stank eye. I like that look. And uh, but nothing followed up. Those FBI guys didn't do shit. <laughs> well, no, they obviously they knew that they weren't there, and they left. Or the head guy, who's the the guy stand from the character stand from Mad Men, I believe, he told Wilson, his subordinate, to uh, stake the place out, and then they were going to go to Lucky Seven um, to to see if, if Dougie was at work or if Cooper was at work, and then they left. And then um, so Chantal and Hutch are watching this, so it's a setup for the ultimate payoff, which we'll get to. But we cut to next. The hospital and Cooper with breathing tubes and all uh, in a coma. His hair was perfectly quaffed after getting eight million volts through him, so I was very amazed that he didn't have any physical damage for that. From that, yeah, and he didn't have. I mean, you, you. I remember you saying that uh, when he, when we saw him in the doctor's office. I can't remember if it was part ten or twelve, but uh, and he was all buff, and that you know that you you said that uh, that he must that there must have been some uh, gym equipment in the Black Lodge. Oh, yeah. There's intervening 25 years because Cooper was uh, was pretty toned. He was. He was still toned in the. He was fine. His, his hair was toned. Is what I'm talking about. I thought he would like be completely like burnt, like to a crisp. <laughs> right. Yeah, I'm surprised Lynch didn't do. Lynch loves uh, uh, deformities and you know making people. You know, we like, can't mess up know. his beautiful mug. You got to keep it all perfectly yeah. craft. So it was kind of like going into like melodramatic or soap opera ish like here. But uh, yeah, he's in the coma. He's fine, right? And uh, well, yeah. And then Bushnell shows up, and then you know everyone's like optimistic. And but Janie says when people go into a coma, they can stay there for years. And uh, there were several mentions of coma, obviously because that's Cooper's state. But and we'll get into this a little bit later and how it might relate to Audrey Horn. But uh, what's great about this scene after the setup and realizing Cooper's predicament is that the Mitchum brothers show up bearing flowers and uh, the girls uh, come in a few minutes later, a few seconds later <laughs> with finger sandwiches, yeah, which I like, thought was great. Like, hors d'oeuvres. Yeah. I was like, right. like that was great. Do. And, and I try you need more hors d'oeuvres in your life. Well, isn't, didn't, didn't uh, Belushi uh, say something about when he, like he kind of leaned over Cooper and they're kind of, he, you know, assessing his, his state and he mentioned something about electricity, and there was like two instances of that where people made uh, references to like electricity and Cooper State with the coma. Yes, that's right. He did mention like the electricity, huh? <laughs> I think that's the last right. thing of the scene when they cut away from it. But uh, yeah, so yeah, so that was it. 
They would cut away. The that's all you have back. to add for the Mitchum brothers. It was. A, I thought it was a great scene. I well, no, it I think was, it was a great. Know. It was hilarious. I mean, it's, it's 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 going into full soap opera mode here. I felt like we're back in the old Twin Peaks, and uh, I would have preferred to go zipping through some portal. But um, yeah, it was a great scene. I, mean, I love that the Mitchell brother uh, Mitchell brothers are bringing them all kinds of stuff, and they're like best buddies with them. So that's awesome. And there was also the callback to the original series. Um, our favorite episode, the second season premiere, where a bulk of the um, story episode took place at the hospital, and any number of characters were um, were you know in you know injured from the the first season cliffhanger. But there were several shots of the hospital food with characters, and the hospital food <laughs> looked absolutely disgusting. And Lynch yeah. had this really kind of weird sound design. Meow, so, a sound design. Yeah, yeah. Weird, yeah. <laughs> I love that. But then Swampy. I think. I can't remember if it was Nepper. I think it was Nepper who said, well, you don't want to eat, I think, to Sonny Jim and to Janie E. You don't want to eat hospital yeah. food yeah. or Belushi. Well, I think that's you're what, right. It was, it was a callback to the season two. Yeah, that's what I thought. Yeah. I yeah. There's something with Lynch. Maybe when he was a young boy, he had some kind of experience with that. But so we have this brief scene. And then we cut to um, the scene that we just talked about with Cole in the room. It was this non sequitur scene, which, you know, we're in Buckhorn still, which I, of course, started laughing. And then when I see Cole in the room with all the, the, the gadgetry, the technology, the machines, and uh, just looking at it and seemingly disoriented and just laughing. And it's just a really brief, brief scene, a transition. But um, it was good to I see. I wasn't laughing. I was like, what is he doing? Like, I thought, is he going to break into some, like, one man Tai Chi? Like, what was he? Like, I felt like he was present in that moment, like open to conjuring or allowing some information to happen. And also thought maybe he like maybe dreamt this, you know what I'm saying? When he like at, let Diane in oh. without knowing who it was, it's almost like he had this dream before or something. I was like, well, that's very interesting something. because of what, you know, the events that unfold that if he did have some kind of premonition or dream vision and he's in that room where the events with Diane are going to take place later on that day and he's trying to make sense of it. I just took it as a, a non sequitur and Lynch kind of lost, you know, among the you know gadgetry. Maybe he is kind of a Luddite. I mean, he's got the kind of old school here. Well, he, he did have the old school hearing aids. Now he's been upgraded, but he seems more kind of a, an old school guy. He even said he was old school to uh, to Denise back in episode four. So I but what you say that you very well may be right, because even in that scene and we'll talk about it some more. He didn't say anything, but you could read his face that he was tying certain things together or he knew, you know, where things might be going or what, you know, might might transpire. Yeah, it's like he doesn't even listen to, like, read the readouts of any of this shit. They're, they're, they brought all these, like, mainframes with him. <laughs> he's not actually reading the readouts. He's actually listening to the machines. He's just, like, getting his ear, like, what's the... The hum tells me this. Like, that's actually what he's inferring stuff from. So that's what he's doing, I guess. He's been there well, a long time, so he maybe he had to wait for a moment. Maybe he knew this Diane reckoning was coming. Well, you know, maybe someone was supposed to turn up that didn't. Uh, you you kind of overused Yeah, I really, I really kind of just, yeah, I just, I don't let things go. I just, I overkill, <laughs> yeah. But, um, okay, so we go back to the Jones residence, to Chantal and Hutch, and they've this got the one scene of their I little right. This is the one where like the the, the FBI guy drives up. Is, are we, is that where the Vicar? This is that? the yeah. This is the big set piece. Yeah, this is the big set piece. But the setup is that um, they're getting a little frustrated because they they think it's going to be a long day, and uh, Chantal is running out of uh, chips. And then uh, yeah, when you pack I, the there day was lunch, one. You need to pack more than chips. You can't. That's a. You're not going to be fooled up on that. Someone made a mistake. They should have gotten. They did right. Yeah, they did. Yeah, burger. But there's this uh, little uh, dialogue between the two of them where um, 
where Hutch is reminiscing about someone that they they know, an acquaintance who died, and I want to say it was Sammy, and uh, and basically Hutch owed Sammy something. He owed him one, and then you know Sammy you know died, and I guess Hutch was unable to to you know pay him back and Chantal asks him if he you know is kind of you know like you know sad or regrets that and and Hutch is just looking at the cameras not looking at her and he kind of just he kind of mm. waves his hand like you know so so kind of maybe mm. and I just it's a little yeah, t- I, I find it yeah it was very intriguing and a little touch I like love touch last episode when he was like hey had, she goes I hadn't been able to torture anybody all week he's like it just hadn't worked out I just good. yeah they're just job. these little moments that I really like between them they really haven't had a lot to do they're you know basically they're just icemen you know they're killers but uh, they're little asides they're little you know they're you know little conversations between the two of them i find very interesting and fascinating and you had just mentioned before we uh, uh watched the episode tonight that you had just picked up on that scene in the previous episode where they were in the car and she said mars but you couldn't see it that well because you're out in sunny california and you finally got to see it in the proper darkness and it kind of added another level to that scene for you uh, well, just with the whole Mars thing, because they are like they they worship at the god of war. That's what Mars is all about. So they're just they're, they're soldiers looking for they're they're looking for excuses and like uh, some sort of ethical moral validation for what they do, and they're blaming it on the government and that they're the same. And so that was just a it's an old point now, dude. That's last episode. <laughs> oh come on, yeah. Keep going with this one. So this is a great scene. So yeah, going. no. So the Mitchum brothers show up, and uh, and then another van, and they're bringing. That was the one thing in the hospital. Um, scene is that Nepper asks Janie E for her house key, which I immediately thought, uh oh, maybe something's going to happen to uh, the Mitchum brothers because we knew that Chantal and Hutch are staked out outside. And uh, but the Mitchum brothers show up, and Hutch is kind of confused, like, who are they? You know, should we? I, I can't remember exactly what he says, but the line that Chantal says that do any of them look like our boss? So that was their clue, is that they know that Dougie, obviously, they have to know what he looks like. But it, it added another level to, or another layer of the relationship between Mr. C and Chantal and Hutch, is that he had to tell them to kill someone who looks exactly like them. And, you know, maybe they don't even go with that and think like, okay, there's nothing to that. But uh, I just find they, that kind they, of... They never had a scene where like, where, where are we going to kill? Like, it's called Tulpa. Tulpa? What yeah. <laughs> Man, you just think about something somebody has created. I'm like, really? Black fast food? If I create a topo of me, would my would my black fast food too? Yeah, nothing like that happened. So yes, but it was very interesting to see that they at least knew that you know maybe it was Dougie's or uh, Mr. C's brother or cousin or identical twin. Like I don't know if he bothered to explain the tulpa. Uh, manifestation process to them, but uh, it was interesting. Right. It, yeah. I would have liked that scene where they discussed tulpas just like that. That, that, that would be absolutely hilarious. But okay, so I want you to take this because you had a very interesting theory before we started recording tonight. Someone pulls up in front of their van in a white car. Yeah, do you remember the name on the van or the, the white like, Mercedes? I think it's Zikowski? like Z- Zawalski. Zawalski? Yeah, Zaw- yeah, something, but uh, it was like a Zawalski or something. Yeah. Zawalski, like accounting ink, or yeah. what was it? It was so like an weird. accounting, I think. Yeah. Yeah, I was like, why did you see him? Okay, maybe he's a neighbor, you know, because he comes out and he's a, kind of a scary looking guy, but he's very serious. And he's like, you know, you're, and he seems to be foreign. He's got some, I'm not sure where he's from, but um, he's like, you know, you're, you're parked partly in my uh, garage or my driveway. And they're like, fuck you, I we're not. And uh, so the guys go, you know, they curse him out. And she goes, Chantal goes a little bit overboard on him. And uh, I think he goes, well, I'm just going to move my car. And so then he goes and gets in the car and just starts ramming the fuck out of him. Which is insane. It starts like you revving his engine to like eight million RPMs, like blowing, cracking his engine core, like destroying his car. 
It's not cool to do that. So he's not, I don't think he's a normal dude. And so Chantal gets really pissed off and just starts opening fire on him, <laughs> which pisses off Hush. And he's like, God damn, the whole, this is going to ruin the whole day. <laughs> and, so, and so the guy rolls out and she missed him. He rolls out and he, okay. So she, he, uh, Hutch says hit the gas and uh, he, he happens to have like an Uzi in his fucking trunk, this guy. And he opens fire on them and kills them fucking both. Like literally pulls a straight like, you know, gangster movie like Tarantino style, like emptying the clip and then go- refilling it and going after and getting Hutch too, which is great. I love the interior, the interior shots of the, the vans. Yeah. They were all getting killed and Hutch died in a cool way. But um, anyway, the FBI's just sitting there looking at all this <laughs> after that really stern look that they gave Sean Paul. I thought so at the too. Beginning, I was like, <laughs> yeah. wow, they're going to be there for business. This is going to be a real standoff. And it wasn't. They just watched like a bunch of chickens. But uh. And they, they finally pull out and say, you know, hold it, you know, put him up or whatever. And the guy drops his guns and that's it. And I was like, you know what? I don't think you think you're like, okay, it's just a neighbor. And the Mitchell brothers were watching. And then he was like, what kind of fucked right. up neighborhood is this? Right. People like, are well, under people, a lot of stress. Yeah, people are under a lot of stress, man. <laughs> and that's what you thought. And I was like, no, I feel like that he's like a, a Freddie Sykes. Like he was a White Lodge like assassin, like who was, who was sent there by the giant to like protect Dougie. Because watching like uh, his white car smash into the black truck of uh, Hutch and Chantal, it like really hit home to me. And so I think that's I haven't checked to see if the, anybody's thought of that, but I think that's definitely that makes the scene so compelling to me. Um, because we know the Sykes thing went on went down, and uh, even the stuff with the, the whoever the the guard was that gave the ring to uh, to uh, you know in, in the, the 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 owl to, ring before Mister Ray. Got, yeah, to Ray. Like it could have been these could all be plants by the. The you know the the giant or the the fireman I think so I think that's what I think I like that thing. well yeah with with only two hours to go I don't think we're gonna get any callback to this particular character or any you know answer if that was to be true I certainly I just took it for you know you know face value for what it was on the surface but when you told that to me it was like ah okay that's a, certainly a possibility with with the imagery with him being in the white car and then being in, in the black van but. Um, uh, but, yeah, with like the crane shot at the end where they pulled up, you know, they yeah. made a big deal out of it. Yeah. Like that was like a big scene. I was like, wow, that really hit it. And it's also like, think about the Mitchum brothers too. They have suddenly become, you know, agents of the White Lodge, whether they knew it or not, but they had that dream, you know, from the one-armed man. And they are now doing good work of the White Lodge. What color is their limo? It's white. Oh, that's true. Yeah. And they have hearts of gold. That's right. As Agent Cooper says. (laughs) But that whole set piece, yeah, that whole set piece I thought was fantastic. You had mentioned the the shots inside the van when the shots are actually ringing or coming through and they're getting, you know, plugged a la, you know, Bonnie and Clyde. It was very, very violent. But it was very stylistic. It was, I thought it was a great, great scene. I loved how Chantal, her death wasn't, um, you know, gratuitous. You could just see her. You saw her from the back, and you saw like a headshot because yeah, you, saw you the felt blood. like emotional. Like I felt like as soon as you saw the little squibs of blood, you saw she was dead. I was kind of like, oh, like yeah, like, I did I too. Yeah, I was like, oh, I, I did too. Even though they're killers, they're cold-blooded yeah. killers. Um, I liked their characters, uh, and uh, it was and the way that the van just slowly kept moving down the street, and the FBI watching, the Mitchin brothers watching, and then it, you know jumped over a curb and then slowly came to a rest by hitting, you know, this, this pull. Now this is done at just like five miles an hour, but it was, I just thought the whole mood and the, the tone and with the, the violence and the cutaways of the FBI and the Mitchum brothers just observing was just a fantastic uh, set piece. And uh, uh, Valhalla to Chantal and Hutch, um, great scenes and great characters. Unfortunately, we'll never get a spinoff unless we do the old prequel. But uh, that, that's it, Mr. C's Endgame. For me, Mr. C, a big F 
hiring Duncan Todd, <laughs> and, and who we hired have the Zawaski guy. <laughs> That's true. That was should have been. Yes, I agree. So big F for him. It might so, be like Principal Wojciech from Three O'clock High. Did you ever see that? Are you asking me if I've seen Three O'Clock High? I'm really asking your audience, but I'm I'm teeing you up to mention that. But that makes me seem to the audience like I've never seen Three O'Clock High. Well, you always go, of course, we've seen it, yeah. It's actually Wojtek Delinsky. Wojtek Delinsky, yeah. Yes, and the Duker. We won't digress here, but... uh, Too late. (laughs) Okay, Clue. I just got to mention, anytime Clue, Clue, too late. All right, So, um, so great set piece. So we go back after this. So this means that, obviously, no one is going to... Uh, harm J- Janie E, Dougie, or Sonny Jim, at least per orders from Mr. C. Um, so that that plot thread is, has been sewn up. And we go back to the hospital, and I believe uh, Sonny Jim has to urinate, and Janie E takes him to the restroom, and Bushnell's just left in the room, and he hears the familiar hum that we've uh, been hearing, both in the Great Northern uh, Hotel in Ben's office, and in the uh, furnace room where James was investigating, and Bushnell is is kind of you know um, you know he it, you know he hears it obviously and and goes to investigate, and he leaves the room, and as soon as he leaves the room, Cooper just like springs up, and uh, I don't know I can't remember if he takes the the feeding tubes or the breathing devices completely yeah, out. He rips it. That's very painful, by the way. He just ripped that out like that was no big deal. <laughs> right, right. And then he, um, I think, like immediately, yeah, I mean, he sits up and then um, he sees the one-armed man right there, like in a chair. He does the whole thing, like in the. It's almost like the episodes. one-armed man's like throw pillow, like his head, like he just kind of was sitting in the chair, like he looked like a kind of a one-armed man. <laughs> right. Hey, I want to ask you something really quickly before we jump into this scene. So um, that that hum that we call it a hum that uh, we've heard, like I mentioned at the Great Northern and, and here in this room. Um, does it? Do you remember in the um, the uh, original series and the the scene in the red room with Cooper aged and uh, the man from another place and Laura Palmer and when the little man starts rubbing his hands together and then you see that flying shadow yeah like in the back in the back in the shadow yeah but that noise that accompanies that image I I think is very similar to this hum and. So if that's the case, because I didn't associate the hum with like the Black Lodge. Now, obviously, I think it might have some, you know, uh, supernatural um, overtones to it, but um, I didn't really associate it with the lodge. But now that Bushnell heard the noise and left the room, and then the one our man suddenly appears from the lodge, the Black Lodge. For me, that was like a, a signal for the one-armed man or that he sent to get Bushnell out so he could have you know, a dialogue with Mr. C. So maybe that hum in the Great Northern is related to the Black Lodge. Now, what that means, I don't know, but I just wanted to know if you had put that together. And I don't know if it's ex- the exact same sound, and I'm going on memory here, but when I saw the one-armed man... It, it something in my you know the you know the, the dark recesses of my uh, brain thought of that scene and that actual uh, sound effect because it's just such a, a classic scene from the original series. Well, I feel like that sound is like you know it could be the one armed man or it could be like Josie or it could be Laura or it could be a lot of different people coming through like portals or wow. otherworldly being able to. I don't think it's necessarily one you know person, but I do like the idea that like 
Hey, the one armed man is in the Black Lodge, right? Though I think the Black Lodge gets a bad rap because the black, maybe. I don't know. This is some scary. Maybe, like, there's some good things going on in the Black Lodge. The one armed man seems like a good guy, right? Right. It's a good thing. No, he so is. Good music. The, the sound is good. The hum is good. And the Tai Chi the that you mentioned. Yeah, the yeah. Tai Chi. Yeah. There's good yeah. stuff happening. Good dancing. Yeah, anyway. So <laughs> that's I was like, yeah, hey, so it's like we're seeing positive things in the world. We're seeing, you know, it's almost like there's some light inside the Black Lodge in the form of uh, the one armed man. Whereas there's not much light going on in like the convenience store. You know? Well, he obviously was, I, I'm assuming it was the one armed man who was sending these signals to Cooper all along at the Silver Mustang Casino to win all the money. Yeah. And at Lucky well, obviously Seven. Well, obviously it is because we, we keep seeing him. We've been seeing him like five times in the pie store, like him going, don't die, him doing the Tai Chi. So clearly he was just behind all of it, I guess. Right? But it was all tied to the Mitchum brothers. That all of that was tied yeah. to the Mitchum See, brothers. Maybe Mitchum brothers are somehow maybe the giant ordained the Mitchum brothers as well to be a good guys. <laughs> well, now we know them to the Mitchum brothers. Yeah. Well, yeah. Now we know that uh, the Mitchum brothers are not only protecting Janie E and Sonny Jim uh, because that's where Cooper dropped them off, and we'll get to that in a little bit. But they're also accompanying Cooper to Twin Peaks. Which I didn't think. I thought that. <laughs> I mean, come jet. on, they gas the jet, right? Gas up the Just, jet, like Ben and Jerry. I was like, they're like fucking Ben and Jerry. This is great. Jump in the boat. And yeah. the girls were like, Candyman and Sandy, let's go. Like, bring it. Like, we're all party time. To, like, is, is it going to be a giant conga line into the roadhouse? <laughs> I want to see a scene inside the Mitchum Brothers jet with like a conga line or them, you Do know, sipping Bloody Marys. That? I'm not sure, but I don't know. I, I, don't I know, hope yeah. Candyman and Sandy bring some, like, you know, some shoes, some athletic trainers because they may have to start running from some woodsman. Well, let's talk about this scene with Cooper because this is what we've all been waiting for. I mean, like you said earlier, 16, well, 15 and a half hours, basically. Well, he, he actually came out of the lodge in, in episode uh, three after his psychedelic journey. So it really has been like almost 13 episodes where we've, have not seen Agent Cooper. And now all of a sudden, he just snaps too. Now, his dialogue with the one-armed man, um, I think the one-armed man says, you are awake. That's the first thing he says. And and then I think he finally. says, like, just, finally, just like the audience, <laughs> right? Cheering. Yes. Every, yes. And uh, I think Cooper, doesn't Cooper say 100%? 100%. Yeah, everybody was questioning, is he going to be okay? Halfway there, he tells they tell the audience, I'm 100% here, baby. Let's go. Right. It's and magic. then the... Like right. Well, there's more magic about to uh, unfold because um, the one-armed man instructs uh, or tells Cooper that the other one, I'm assuming is Mr. C, didn't go back in. He's still out. So, um, and then that's when Cooper, like, he thinks for a second and he asks the one-armed man if, um, do you have the seed? And he repeats it. Do you have the seed? And that's where the one-armed man produces the little gold pearl that uh, we saw after Dougie disintegrated in the Black Lodge in part three. Um, and then the one-armed man also gives Mr. S- or, uh, Cooper the owl cave ring. And I find it very Dude, interesting. Dude, that would have been like, no, 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 no. If he tried to hand that to him, scared. <laughs> yeah. Right. But that they're able happen. to go ahead and, and actually not only see each other, but actually like transfer uh, objects between yeah. Even his dimensions. Hair. He pulled out some hair yeah. too. Well, like so that's awful. what Cooper does, right? So he... He, he takes some of his hair and he gives it to the one-armed man. And I think he says, I need you to make another one. Yeah, like another one which of him, has, I presume, right? Well, yeah, I think that's it. Well, the whole thing that's fascinating about this. I feel like this, we're suddenly in on some like heist movie where like there's been some plans going on that we don't know about. You know what I mean? Like uh, Cooper knows about seeds and knows about all the shit. It's like they're in on some 
Ocean's Eleven thing already. We don't, we don't well, that, that's what I wanted to talk about here is that, you know, Cooper just snaps too. And not only he's, is he completely Agent Cooper that we know and love, but he seems to be completely apprised of the whole situation. Now, the only thing that I can really, um, I think, uh, that, that, that would help me explain that or to justify that is because Mr. C is a part of him, his shadow self. It's like the Corsican brothers that you keep you mentioned way back when is that he somehow is able even in his Dougie state he is somehow connected to the events of Mr. C just like I'm assuming Mr. C knows that uh, the development of of Cooper as Dougie and I think that was the sense of of of, uh, of time like a time crunch for Mr. C to eliminate Dougie. Cooper because he knew eventually that Cooper would come to and it would be much harder to get rid of Cooper. Dougie would have been easier. Well, obviously that didn't, you know, unfold. That didn't happen. So that was is very interesting is that Cooper is not he's 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 awoken, but he's he's got like a play. He knows exactly what's going on. He knows exactly what to do. Like all the feelings, emotions with Janie E and Sonny Jim, with Bushnell and the Mitchum brothers have existed this whole time. He really has been in a coma. I mean, this episode, you know, very well could have been entitled Coma, which is an interesting uh, title in and of itself. But in the original series, those damn German titles, if you recall, the second episode of the second season is entitled Coma. Yeah, so... <laughs> That's all you got? That's no, all you <laughs> Well, no, I mean, I just... Okay, so, so when... Um, when Cooper's up, I, I loved how, and this is one thing I want to talk about, is that he, I loved how he, one of his first reactions was, get me some of those finger sandwiches. I'm, I'm starving. And so... Um, that was great. He, See, I wish they did a little bit more humor. That was good. Right. But it was, like, right. weird that, like, after all of this, they, like, there's, there wasn't a slow scene to, like, come to or, like, any realization. It was just snapped to it, which was, like... Right. It was crazy. It was, it was, I think it was for our, it was for our purposes to, to be entertained because finally we've been waiting so long. They're giving it to us. He's driving fast on the highway. Things are great. It's like all of a sudden he's a, he's fucking 007. Yeah. But he doesn't, um, actually, um, for me at least, it's not the old agent Cooper. Now I'm not saying it's Kyle McLaughlin's performance that, you know, in 25 years, he's kind of lost his, you know, a step or two because he's been absolutely fascinating as Mr. C and as Dougie. But I think that the Cooper that we knew and love is never to return, even though this is Agent Cooper. I mean, he's, he's asking for food. He was true. drinking I coffee. It's with jarring for us. Didn't that? We're, I, I do too. I, to me. I was like, oh, who the fuck's this guy? <laughs> I've never seen him before right. in my life. So I think it's just jarring for us to get you. We'll have to get used to him as much as he gets used to playing Cooper. Right. You know, so. Well, when Cooper actually is, uh, when he's telling uh, Bushnell, you know, give me the finger sandwiches, I'm starving, and get me my suit. And uh, then we cut away to uh, Janie E and Sonny Jim because they had come back into the room and they had recognized that or then seen that Cooper had awakened and was not the dad that they and the father or husband that, that, that they'd known, at least for the last week or so, because it's, it's Agent Cooper. He's actually, you know, got... You know, intelligence. He's actually can formulate sentences. Yeah, I love it. Everybody's just kind of like taking it. Like nobody starts speaking like Agent Cooper. He's not like everyone's <laughs> right. not like going, "Holy shit!" Like, what the fuck happened right. to Dougie over here? So, yeah, yeah. But maybe when Cooper Dougie did asks, speak more, you know, before Dougie, you know, what I'm saying like maybe he was more fluent before Cooper showed up in his body. Well, yeah, possibly. But um, when 
when Cooper asks Bushnell for his suit, and then we cut away to Sunny Jim and uh, Janie E. Then we cut back, and and Cooper's dressed. I thought it was kind of interesting. Is that did uh, Bushnell stay in the whole room while Cooper was changing? Maybe kind of turn around a little bit. You know, is it, I know there's <laughs> not much time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I would think they right, could do right. some stretching, but I guess he's only been down there. Don't, we don't know how long he's been in that hospital. He's been moving around, but uh, oh no, I think that's yeah, probably just it was overnight. Or I would something. think he'd want to get some water. He'd have to rip that respirator out of his throat. I think he listened to glass for a glass of water. Wasn't that one thing he asked for at the final? after he came out of the lodge in season two the final finale he didn't ask for any water this time yes no water. no but uh, he asked for bushnell's uh, 38 that you know he's been holding you know that he has uh, under his left shoulder yes yeah, so he and knew it, that somehow he's known that bushnell's got a 38 or he just maybe observed that right now in the last minute of coming to well then and he also had a note <laughs> to give to bushnell in case a, a you know gordon cole calls what do you think that note says like i think it's like you know twin peaks it's a <laughs> <laughs> Explain later. <laughs> Today I remind myself a small Mexican chihuahua. Yeah, I don't know something. <laughs> no, I think it's related to because obviously he's going to Twin Peaks. I think that's uh, what's going to happen is that the you know because we saw the the Vegas. Why does he PD just call Gordon? Or, he's got no time. I got no I time. Well, the fun, you're on a plane for a couple hours. He's got he's got they got to gas the jet. He's got no time. I mean, you saw him driving, right? I mean, he was yeah. He's hauling yeah. ass. He's got no time. So I think that's what, those blinkers. He's, that's, he's still upon the law. See, I thought that, like, he would at least like have said like to Bushnell, like, you know, and you know, when he leaves, like you will have to return that Mercedes and the, the Monte Cristos. And that's not ethical. That is going to be right. The old boy, boy scout, right? <laughs> yeah, he well, he does actually tell uh, our Janie E to buckle up before they drive away. Oh, that's which right. I thought was a nice, oh, yeah. Like oh, one game? other little small uh, mention of this scene is that the, the doctor, when Cooper actually, um, is up. He asks for a doctor. He wants to make sure that his vitals are okay, which I thought was another great little line. Yeah. But the doctor is a character who appeared in the original Twin Peaks, and I can't remember oh, nice. her name, but she was the front desk person or the concierge at the Great Northern Hotel. Remember when M.T. Wentz? Oh, yeah, that's was, her? Okay, that's yeah. her. So she had several lines. I remember her. She was cool. I liked her. That's her? Yeah, she's good. She was also in Wild at Heart. But the, her scenes got cut out, and she was actually in on the air in the last episode as yeah. a uh, as a beatnik, yep. uh, the okay. performer. So Lynch obviously likes this actress, or you know, had cast her back in the day during this period of time, and. And I thought I knew I recognized her name in the cast list, and I was assuming that maybe she would still be employed at the Great Northern. But um, but he used her obviously in a different role. So um, her name is Belina Logan. That's the actress's name. By well, the way, maybe she's going to med school twenty five years ago, and now they have to see <laughs> the fruits of all of her. Life. Right, right. That's good. That's good. Yeah. But um, okay. So yeah, should so we go to Diane now, or do you want to keep what else? Do oh you want to no, yeah, yeah. Because we'll talk about Cooper a little bit more. But yeah, why don't you lead us off on Diane? Uh, well, no, we just ended up with Diane. Well, okay, we thought there was going to be a reckoning going on, and uh, she gets a text message from Mr. C, uh, which is the – I always thought Mr. C should use, like, some emojis, and he finally used one, <laughs> but it wasn't in a good way. It was a, it was an old ar- archaic emoji, which was – was it was a smiley face or was it a winking face? I think it was a smiley face, and it just said all, period, which I don't know why he put the period. But uh, that freaks her out completely. She starts yeah. to have, like, flashbacks and saying, like, oh, Coop, and, like, you know, she, it starts it triggers something in her. Um, and I'll talk about what I think that is later, but, you know, but, uh, yeah, man. So uh, I think she, she musters up the courage, right? And then she, the, the music starts, the American woman song starts again. Is that what happened? Well, there's a couple things actually yeah, is that, you know, that you're right. When she gets that message, she's completely terrified and she starts shaking yeah. and she says like, Oh, I remember. And then she says, Oh, Coop, I remember. And, uh, then and she called him she, Coop, not Cooper, which is, interesting. yeah, she called it. Yeah. Like a she called German. him Coop. And then, didn't she 
enter the coordinates and send the text at that particular moment. Oh, and she goes like, I hope this works. <laughs> like talking to herself, right? When she yeah. sent the coordinates. So I don't know what the hell, maybe like, what was your theory that like she had not sent all the coordinates to him or something? Or that- well, do you want to get this? Do you want to, how about we like, like explain the scene and, and then, then we'll talk, talk about, yeah, then we talk about. So yeah, then, okay. So the, then take us, that was it. I just wanted to mention that. Um, that well, she we know, actually so, okay, so we start looking in her purse she starts putting all like her phone we start seeing she's got an American spirit she's got a gun in there and then yeah. the American it's like she's suddenly, suddenly been triggered on, you know and she's looking like Diane Ladder mother like kind of evil man like looking fucked up and the music starts you know which we uh, got our first introduction to Mr. C in episode one right yeah. American woman slowed down. Wasn't that so cool? Oh, yeah. Like, that was creepy as shit. And the whole walk through the hotel to get the elevator, pushing the button. I was like, she is a fucking assassin. She is an assassin. And uh, going into upstairs, it was a great hypnotic, scary as fuck scene. And I knew this is like Diane's reckoning. Uh, and so where is she going? I start getting scared for our heroes and especially Gordon because Gordon is stuck in his reverie still. We cut back to him. <laughs> He's still like, you know, dream, dreamland. And uh, I'm really getting worried. But you can take it from here because he gets to the door and he doesn't even have to, she doesn't have to knock or anything. He knows that she's out there already, which makes me think like, did she dream this? But, or did he already dream this? But go ahead. Well, no, I think that's, I think you, you might be onto something. When she showed up, when she was, you know, getting into the elevator and then slowly walking down the hallway, I, I, I could, all kinds of different thoughts started, you know, percolating in my, my brain. Like, I thought she might morph into someone or yeah. take off her face or I just knew something because of the soundtrack and, you know, th- that text that she received and then sent back to uh, Mr. C and just her whole demeanor. And then when she came to the door and paused and then we cut to Cole say come on in Diane and I thought of uh, of initially the Laura Palmer vision or premonition that Cole had in the uh, Buckhorn hotel room when he opened the door and there was Albert and I thought maybe there was a connection to Laura or you know this is really kind of what's happening I think is what we're seeing with Cole at least that you know being the you know the leader of the Blue Rose task force that he is, you know, kind of tuned in to these, uh, you know, these little heightened or supernatural kind of little elements. Like he's able to, like, you know, see things, or he's a strong receiver, like Cooper. And I think that's why we, his reaction—he wasn't talking so much—is because he had a feeling. And I really do believe you're right, Murphy, that um, he somehow had a premonition or a vision or a dream that something was going to unfold here in this scene with Diane. And so she enters the room and she sits down and she, and we know that she has the gun. It's the whole Hitchcock touch, right? Show them the bomb under the table, show the audience, the bomb, but not the characters. So they don't know the FBI doesn't know the blue rose task force doesn't know that she has um, a gun, but we as an audience know. So it just heightens the tension up and she goes, she sits down without any, uh, you know, prompt from anyone in the room. She says, okay, I'm ready to talk about that night. And we know that night is in reference to uh, Mr. C. And um, what she says is it was three or four years after she last saw Cooper. Now, I don't know if that was three or four years after the events of the original series or if she had seen uh, Cooper afterwards. If she had, I'm assuming, well, it would have been Mr. C. So we don't know. The timeline is probably between like 93 and 97, probably somewhere around that time. And 97 is very relevant because that is around the time that Dougie was manufactured. And she 
tells this tale of the Cooper showing up at her house. Well, while and, she's doing uh, this, also she's slowly like untaking things out of her purse. Like, she, like she's totally right. fidgeting and fiddling, and you're, we're just on the edge of our fucking seats here. Yeah, yeah, and uh, like, <laughs> oh, because she says right that he just suddenly like I think appears in her living room. No knock. No knock. No doorbell. No doorbell. Yeah, right. that was a great usage of that. We had no idea how that piece of dialogue was going to be used. That was a fantastic monologue that she gave, which we've been oh. wanting all season, dude. Yeah, uh, I mean, it was it was a, it was the unfortunate event that we thought it was going to be, man. It was the one you didn't want to really it was too scary I, for you. Yeah, yeah, no. Well, um, so he, so Mr. C is in her um, apartment or house, and uh, they go and they sit on the sofa, and all he wants to talk about is like bureau business. And apparently Diane was still working at the FBI at this time. And she thought that was just Cooper, you know, wanting to, you know, he was, you know, such a a boy scout. He just wanted to be apprised of all the latest developments, but obviously he wanted some information. Uh, We don't know what information because Diane doesn't go into it. But what she says is, is that at some point he leans in and they kiss. And she mentions that, that this only happened one time before. And now I'm assuming that was actually Cooper back in the yeah, day. Yeah, like they could, kissed maybe or made out or whatever. Something. Yeah, something. But when her, his lips met hers, there was something terribly wrong. She sensed something. Oh. And she said, then he smiled. And then I think and she said, his like, face I, went, right. uh, and I was like, oh, my God, it went Bob. Bob, <laughs> right? Yeah. Bob, it right? went Bob. Bob. It went Bob. Who's Bob? Bob? You know a Bob? I don't know a Bob. And she yeah, also, Bob. like, she grabbed her collar at one point. And I was like, is she yeah. taking her face off? Is she taking her face off? But she did I know. Yeah. So, so, and then, uh, then he said, then that's the big reveal is that Mr. C raped her. And, you know, and it keeps cutting away to Cole yeah, and like, to oh, Albert. Yeah. I know. Right. And, uh, and then she goes on. It just keeps getting more and more fascinating. And Diane, or Laura Dern is just absolutely incredible. She's been terrific this whole series. She hasn't had a lot to do in the last couple of episodes. Um, but she still, really, she brought her A-game to the whole series. And this is really, this really is the, you know, I think the, 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 the best, the peak of her character. Because all the dominoes are falling. Because what she says is, after he raped her, that he took her. To like a gas station. Oh, shit. The convenience and that store. has to be the convenience <laughs> store, right? That's a great right? after date. I'm sure let's go to the convenience <laughs> store. To rape like uh geez. But, okay. So But didn't she say the gas station by the sheriff's department or the sheriff's station? I thought that's what she said, but then I listened to it again and she says like she kind of free, starts to freak out in between this monologue and she looks at the her text again and it says all and it f- freaks out and like it's it's setting off something inside of her. Well, then she says, I'm not me. She starts to lose it. Well, right? she also says, like, I'm in the twin. Or I'm in the sheriff's station. I'm in the sheriff's station. Yeah, in the sheriff's station, yeah. which is, wow. I mean, we'll get into all this here in a little bit. But, then she just like, gave it, him the coordinates. Yeah, right. And she yeah. gave him the coordinates. And then she reaches into her purse. And you can oh, see right shit. before that. When out when she said I'm not me, Albert went for his gun. You yeah, can see I, that I had to watch that again. Like the, he went for his gun immediately because she's freaking out, and we're all freaking out. And like, dude, Gordon is so close to her. I didn't yeah. see Albert do that, so I was like, he's completely unarmed. Right. And she yeah. fucking tries to kill him, man. And they plug her. Tammy and Albert plug her like two or three times. And then and, she uh, is sucked out of the room yes. immediately. And then Tammy goes, "Wow." Um, I guess her that reaction was... <laughs> shot is hilarious. I watched it again. Her re- just watching her face. <laughs> she was like, 
They're real. Whoa, Atulpa. Yeah, they're real. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. And then Cooper so goes, then we yeah, get... Gordon just goes, uh, like, sheriff station, right? That's what he says. Right, yeah. And then Albert, I think, is about to, to mention or say something, but we cut away. And um, I don't think I would have ever imagined seeing Diane cross-legged in the Black Lodge. I did, but... yes. Remember, I even said it before, Diane in the Lodge would be a great visual. And that was like an <laughs> iconic, classic Diane in the Lodge. That's like oh. the poster on like the Hollywood Boulevard for all of Twin Peaks, season four. She could come back as a demon or something. That was great seeing her in there like she... Dougie. <laughs> oh, she was, that was incredible. And she, she looked great still... too. She, had, she looked a lot better than Dougie did sitting in that chair. She had class. She did, yeah. right? And she had class and she was sure. obstinate and she was sassy. And when the one-armed man is letting her know the rules that uh, someone manufactured you for a purpose, and she goes, yeah, I know. And then she tells the one-armed man, she doesn't tell him, but she says, fuck you, which I thought was absolutely <laughs> hilarious. Diane told the one-armed man to fuck off. That fuck yeah, she goes, I know. And then she goes, fuck you. Know, oh, fuck it was you. hilarious. And then the whole ritual happens that we saw. Um, but it's a little very... different, dude. Her face kind of cracked. And I thought like the little yeah. bug was going to come out of it again. But her face cracked. And then her little, did a little shimmy, little uh, blouse shimmy that happened. Yeah. Which I, it was like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> and then she swelled up and exploded. And I love how the one-armed man just has to, I was like, here, he's going to have to shield his eyes. And he shielded his eyes again. I wonder what happens when he shields his eyes. Yeah, right. I don't know. Well, I think like I thought at the, the last. He was blind. Well, I thought the last time that when he did that, and with Dougie, that's when that uh, face that looked that kind of cancerous face yeah, and it kind of resembled mother blob, a little yeah. bit that the evil that I think that's why he covered his his eyes. Mm. But we didn't see that with with Diane. So then Diane disappeared. And I can't remember. Did we see a like a, we did see that we saw like a, a gold orb with yeah, her as well. That was what was left. Yeah, she got just like, the, yeah. yeah, she disintegrated the, like or a seed. Her seed as was we, left. Yeah. So maybe she'll yeah, come her back. Her seed was left. Yeah. Yeah. But it also so, okay, makes so me look, go, if she was the Tulpa Diane, like, where's the real Diane? Okay, well, that's she we got it. some theories on that. <laughs> well, let's talk about, first of all, like, what you oh, thought. Oh, by the way, I forget that to mention, like, before her head, I love how she did her jaw thing, like Diane, when, when, before, like, she implodes in the Black Lodge. That was just so great. And she goes, oh, with yeah. her jaw. Like, that was a really, Lynch is just a twisted maniac. I don't know where he comes up with this shit, but that was so original. Anyway, yeah, yeah, that was Keep going, sorry. that was great. Yeah, well, talk about what you thought that text message uh, with the smiley face. Oh yeah, I thought that. it meant like kill them all, dude. I thought it meant kill them all. Like that was her mission. Mission was to kill them all. The all three of the FBI people. You didn't. Think and then so, you though, thought right? that she would be like some kind of like Manchurian candidate. Uh, um, well, yeah, like she's like an agent controlled. of the Black Lodge. Yeah, oh. just like the guy uh, in the other scene was like an assassin for the White Lodge. You know, with the Uzi, I thought like she's like an assassin for the Black Lodge. You know, it's like well, see, I thought on here. I thought that the emoji, the smiley face, was an indication that, hey, I'm still alive, and all meant give me the rest of the coordinates because that's what she did right afterwards. She, uh, we don't know the coordinate. We don't know the actual uh, numbers that she sent him. She very well could have left some off. See, what I'm thinking is is that Diane even though she is a Tulpa, was created uh, from the original Diane. Diane, I think the original Diane was a, like a good person. Uh, and so I think that this Tulpa isn't completely evil or dark or under Mr. C's control. I think obviously enough to be his servant or his pawn, but I still think that she was fighting him in some instances and, and did not give him the exact coordinates. Um, that um, that he wanted, 
and there was some conflict within her. That's at least how I read it. But I like your theory as well, and they very well may both be right. But um, that's what I read into it. But the idea of Diane being a tulpa and the original Diane um, being taken to the convenience store and that ritual taking place probably there. Now, does that mean that the original Diane is still alive and maybe imprisoned or locked in one of those motel rooms like Jeffrey's? And it also could mean possibly the same fate for Laura Palmer because Audrey, we know everybody or Audrey. Well, but with Laura specifically, we know that she went into that painting, which was that location. And uh, it's very well, uh, it's very possible that uh, there are two Lauras. There have been two Lauras. So maybe that whole motel uh, scene, that location, there's more to it than, than we saw in the last episode. And uh, and, and Diane might be completely, uh, or her, the original Diane still might be alive. But the line... I am in the sheriff's department or the sheriff's station. Yeah, she said it like almost like her voice got higher, almost like Laura Palmer. Like I'm in the sheriff's station. Like she's finally realizing something. Like she like pretend she's channeling Laura Palmer, and she's going like I'm I'm in the sheriff's station. I'm in the sheriff's station. Because like Naida wouldn't know what the fuck a sheriff is. She's from a different planet. You know what I'm saying? She doesn't know where she is. You know. So no, but I don't. I think that somehow could be maybe like Laura. Like I don't know. That was very compelling to me though. Well, I think that now we know that that the coordinates, I think, are the location isn't like Blue Pine Mountain or the Black Lodge or the White Lodge. (laughs) I think it's the sheriff's station. Dude, not only that, it's the basement of the sheriff's station. It's the fucking jail cell, buddy. (laughs) Well, yeah, it's Naido. Our crazy jail cell block with all the maniacs. I think that's where they're all pointing there. But you know, I was doing like anagrams last night for like Bosomy Woman because I have no life and uh, there's a hurricane here in Austin and uh, I spent like hours trying to you know, come up with clues, you know. But um, but I did something similar with Naido and if you, I think Naido means nothing. Diane, and, right? Yeah. Oh, oh, Diane. O and then D I A N, right? Yeah. It's not. Yeah. So there might be a connection between Diane. And Naido. Now, I'm not saying that the real Diane is Naido or Laura Palmer is Naido, but you know there is obviously something with Diane's line um, related to Naido at the sheriff's station. And we'll go into a lot of this um, in greater detail when we preview the finale um, later in the week. But what a great, great scene um, overall. Oh, Blew me I mean, away. The- I was literally on the edge of my fucking seat. This whole episode, really, other than the Cooper stuff, I was on a different type of edge of my seat. But with the Dickie Horn scene in the beginning and this one, boy, it was great. It was like, ooh, ooh, it was one of the best uh, moments of the entire series. Well, it just ran the gamut of emotions. I mean, you had that action set piece with Chantal and Hutch, and you had the emotional high of seeing uh, Cooper return. You had the the heightened you know, mystery and, and, and suspense with the Diane scene. And then you have the pure heart of Cooper with Janie E and Sonny Jim basically telling them that he has to go away now that he's awakened. And Sonny Jim's like, you know, no, you're my dad. You're my dad, which made me think of Donna at the end of the original <laughs> series. <laughs> right. That's right. When he found out Ben Horn was dead. No, you're my dad. He, wasn't she like hugging like Dr. Hay- Doc Hayward? Is that what yeah, yeah. But then Janie E was like, you know, don't go. And and Cooper was like, no, I have to. But um, you kind of let I it slip that it's not, he's not Dougie, too. She's like, you're not Dougie? And he's like, you're not my dad? And he's like, no, I'm, he didn't say he's not Dougie. Or, or he said, I, I am your father. I'm, I'm your dad. Right. So I think he's going right. to – he's taking, her, taking him on. But, dude, that scene, I broke up crying. I was like, I don't know what, why it triggered or what. I don't know if anybody else felt that way. But that scene really 
hit an emotional core was was the angelo music playing in the background and like dude the yes. casino like in the mr jackpots where it all started you know what i mean like it and also i think it ties into like the ending of the series and like the emotion I'm like i'm getting a fucking emotional dude not only did i cry the first time i watched it i watched it again the whole the way that i cried again it, i was like How the fuck? <laughs> they're geniuses boy like holding out so long that's what i'm saying we all are having this tremendous emotional reaction to cooper returning and that was one of a part of him for me like him actually waking up i cheered but that because uh, i think like maybe it is goodbye even though it would be nice for him to walk through the red door at the end and maybe he just created a doppel <laughs> with the one our man they could do it in case he dies at the end but uh i got a feeling that maybe it is the end and it was sad you know but I, and also cooper finally he talked about he got finally got love his heart is filled with love finally and, like that's the one thing that's always been missing with him it'd be a shame a family he was, yeah. he's got this ready-made family he's got Janie E and Sonny Jim, and here he is finally awake, but he cannot stay. He has got to fulfill his mission and confront Mr. C, but he knows well enough to create another, uh, you know, Cooper, and it's going to be taken from his DNA, so it's going to be a good Cooper, and what I suspect is that— Is it a Doppel or a Tolba? I don't know. Yeah, who the hell knows? Yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll call it like, a, a, well, I'll just mention like a Tulpa, but like a another Cooper Tulpa. But I suspect since Agent Cooper, the real Agent Cooper, is going to Twin Peaks with the Mitchin brothers and Mandy, Candy, and Sandy, that his Tulpa is going to find Laura Palmer. And I know I've been beating the drum with this for a lot of episodes now, but uh, we only got two more left. Laura, she Laura Palmer yeah. is coming. And I think that... The whole thing with the Giants clues, the Fireman's clues in the first episode, remember 430, um, Richard and Linda, two birds with one stone, that that those lines are related to Laura Palmer because Cooper says... <laughs> they better come up next episode or it'll be unresolved. Because well, Cooper be understands, and I think that's what it is, is that he knows because Leland said, find Laura. That is like one of his major missions is to find Laura because I think it's she's inexorably tied to Bob and how this end game is going to un unfold here in these final two hours. So he's sending his Tulpa to get Laura to come presumably to Twin Peaks while Cooper goes to the sheriff's station because we think that is the that that is the centralized location with the coordinates. That's where Mr. C and or Sarah Palmer and whatever's in her, whether it's the jumping man the experiment, who have you, the shit is going to go down at the sheriff's station and maybe all over town. See, why would, if, if Diane somehow is Nido, like, why would everybody be wanting to come kill Diane? Oh, I don't think it is Nido. I just think that there's a connection somehow. I, I, I don't think, I don't want this Scooby-Doo ending where Nido, you know, takes off her face and it's Diane. Or well, do you, if this, any season or any series of all, there's people taking their faces off all over the damn place. It's like, it's impossible. So, but in a Lynchian, we've had Lynchian face-offs. I don't want to see like, well, I guess, well, yeah, I, I don't want to see. Well, I somehow feel that Nido is not who she is. Like, I feel like, you know what I'm saying? That she represents something. I don't know what it is yet. There's, there's something, obviously, we don't know anything about her. <laughs> well, we'll eventually know something about her. And I think that's important. And she represents what? something good. Judy. Right. It could but be. Is Judy I mean, we been didn't... good? I always never thought Judy, I always thought Judy would be kind of bad. Do we need to get to the Audrey scene? We can't forget Audrey. Okay, well, just to, just to, to tie up. Before we start the, speculating uh, on everything, yeah. Yeah, because we did talk about uh, gassing up the uh, the jet. I just like, there was a one little sh shot in the limo when Cooper, he didn't ask for it. It just, the, the scene just uh, started with him having his coffee. Yeah, his coffee. His coffee, but Belushi asks for a Bloody Mary. 
and Candy gives him his Bloody Mary. But if you watch his expression when he drinks from the straw, just look at Belushi. I lost it. It's absolutely, and he does it one more time. They cut outside of the limo and then they come back in. Him sipping his straw, I'm not saying it's acting 101 like Stanislavski, Stella Adler, you know, the method, any of the stuff here, but I lost it. He, what he was doing with that straw was just absolutely hilarious and comical with his bug eyes. Great. So I just love the fact that the Mitchum brothers are a little hesitant because they're taking Cooper's words at face value. Okay, he's FBI, and he needs, needs to go to Twin Peaks and the sheriff's station, and they're not very popular with, uh, with law enforcement types. And Cooper's like, but you have hearts of gold. And it's the whole gold <laughs> metaphor. Candy goes the like, they gold. do. <laughs> That's how it ends, right? <laughs> Oh, and she was great too. If you watch her expression, (laughs) God, she's so good. Yeah, that's right. I I love that. So, okay, let's talk about Audrey because we cut to the roadhouse and um, I believe we we are introduced to uh, Eddie Vedder, right? And he starts performing his song. Uh, He goes by a different uh, pseudonym at this, uh, this Edward something Vaughn. So I don't know who that is, but yeah, it is Eddie Vedder. I thought it might be Bob under that hat for a second. His eyes kind of resemble Bob. A little Bob melody. It was, yeah, it was Eddie Vedder, which was, you know, fine. Uh, you, I'm sure you hated it, right? You weren't into that, but it was a few minutes. And, uh, and then in comes Stroll's Audrey, dude, and Charlie. And, uh, <laughs> oh, my God. This scene blew my fucking mind, dude. All right, so they come in, and we're like, okay, so she's, gonna be, she's, gonna, she's there, and that's it. It's going to be a normal scene. But then suddenly the entire oh, – I think the announcer goes, hey, it's time for Audrey's dance. And it goes into this, you know, kind of strange, not not even a sound yet, but you see the lights turn blue and you see Charlie like look at her. And I was like, "Uh uh-oh, like what's happening? The entire audience clears off and she gives a fucking Audrey dance like episode three of season one at the road at the double R diner. And uh, it was amazing. It was like I was like, what? I didn't know what the hell I was looking. Okay. I was like, okay, so she's in her, she's in her own head. Everything that's been going on in the roadhouse, but for the most part could be in her head. So I was looking for like all the characters that were playing, doing cameos throughout the season to see if any of them were in the background. None of them were, but uh, yeah, she did her dance, dude. What do you think? I won't spoil well, it. You can finish. First that. of all, did the MC introduce her um, or no, say he said it's all and that's Audrey's dance or something. That's what he said. Ladies and gentlemen, Audrey's it, dance. Aud- yeah. Audrey's dance. Yeah. I was absolutely, I, obviously I didn't know anything that was going to happen uh, in this episode. Um, I assumed that the ending was going to be like a cliffhanger because of, you know, just we only have two more hours. And here we are so close to the end and we see Eddie Vedder. I'm like, well, this is, I mean, what a fantastic episode. But it's like, this, I don't want to end it on this musical act. I, I need something, please. And then when Charlie and Audrey showed up, I was like, yes, there's got to be something here. And I think they they order Charlie orders two martinis and he toasts to us to I us. believe and then, <laughs> and then Audrey says to Billy I believe mm-hmm. and then that's when I I think the MC says ladies and gentlemen Audrey's dance and I I, I was completely what I thought of was immediately um, the James scene at the Roadhouse you know he was singing just you and I that was obviously performed in, in the original series and here's Audrey her iconic moment doing the dance that was originally uh, uh, thought of spontaneously on the set. Lynch completely reworked that scene in the original series. She was not supposed to do this dance. And he he pulled her off to the side and go, okay, here's what's going to happen, and you're going to do this dance. And she was completely terrified 
Um, she just didn't think that, you know, it was the, you know, that she could pull it off. And Lynch, of course, convinced her um, she could. And it become it became one of the most iconic scenes in the original series and, and very well may be her most iconic scene. The way that she looked at Donna when she was dancing and the yeah, whole Donna music. like was envious, like wanting to be as free as her. Oh, it was yeah. so perfect. And now to see this and to see her face now. And there was this this kind of. Like just uh, I wouldn't say this freedom, but this she could just tell that she was happy, and she was I wouldn't say reliving anything, but there was just this um, I don't even know how to articulate it. it. Was just so beautiful to see her character and to watch these mu- these moves and to see the audience slowly like swaying. But then it's all of a sudden it's broken up by two guys. One guy comes after another and says, "That's my wife." I think says Monique, that's my wife or something and slugs this guy and snaps Audrey, Audrey out of a reverie. And she runs up to Charlie and says, what did she say? I got it written down here. So she said, get me out of get here. Out I of think, here. Yeah. get me out of here. And then it cuts to a shot of Audrey, oh, presumably where she really is no! looking in a mirror. <laughs> yeah. In this surrounded by white and looking in She's the in mirror. A mental and, institution of the damned in the lodge or something, dude. She's like, what, yeah. what? Or something like that. I was like, Whoa, my God. She's got like modern looking hair. She looks modern. She was just like, she had like Barbara Stanwyck hair, you know, in that scene in her dream. But now yeah, we see her right. in real life. Like where then that ends cut out. Boom. And then we go back to the band doing the Audrey dance scene music. At the in Rose House. reverse. <gasps> Are you serious? Watch the ending. It's in reverse. The musicians and the song is played backwards. Oh, that is all. What the fuck? Isn't that great? Dude, oh, is she, it was fantastic. Is she trapped in like a lodge, like mental institution? Or she's trapped in... I don't think it's a mental institution. I hated the notion of is a she coma. In a convenience store? But I think she saw herself. I think that was the first time she's seen herself in such a long time. But I don't think she's actually in a coma because of what little Dickie Horn said about her mother having the photograph of agent Cooper, because if she was in a coma from the bank, why would she would have had a photograph of uh, justice Jack and not Cooper probably. So I don't think, I think there's something supernatural and it very well may be related to um, the, like the events, the black lodge, the white lodge portals. I was taken by the fact that that we've never seen like just that white, you know what I mean? There's never been anything in twin peaks where a character is just in a white who knows where some astral plane absolutely like a, all white astral plane oh shit but that scene with the audience clearing out like that and the way that the scene unfolded that was not real that was well, not no, a, dude yeah but then that means that all of those scenes at the roadhouse not every single one of them the one where that MC is introducing whether it's Nine Inch Nails now I can't think of any other bands yeah now, now we can understand it. why all those great bands were allowed to get Twin Peaks is on her head she had a Spotify <laughs> playlist going in the mental institution in the lodge and so she was just f- f- right. fancying the Nine Inch Nails and the chromatic and all the cool bands showed up at Twin Peaks. So it makes sense. But now, right? all those scenes of those characters in the booth, in the same booth, talking about people and situations that we can't have any, there's no context, um, are part of Audrey's like imagination or her construct. And, it could be like uh, the show this, Legion, and they're all like uh, they're all people in the mental institution with her. Oh, I don't see. I don't think Lynch would never. <laughs> we don't have time. Yeah. For then that again, shit. I never thought. We don't, yeah. I never thought Lynch would use the, uh, you know, the old the rape trope, the with, double rape, uh, trope. Diane, the double rape. Oh, and the I'm still disappointed. Trope. Yeah, 
Well, <laughs> but I think there have been it's some. Incest. It's just lodge cest. No, <laughs> that would no. Be termed. <laughs> I think that there has been legitimate scenes at the Rodas, like the chromatics with uh, Shelley and James. Yep. And I think the, the top the, really happened. No, that's with the MC. I think anything with the MC, that MC. So you're saying well, Freddie no, Sykes doesn't exist? Freddie oh, Sykes that's right. Exist, dude. Oh, you're right. Yeah. Okay. Well, I could think about that, but I think at least the conversations with those characters that we've only seen, you know, the, the, within those, that particular episode. Dude, one so. question I think that makes us, begs the question, is she the dreamer? Ooh. Audrey, I don't wow. think I would like that. I'm not sure what the I don't think I would is. either. What the fuck does that mean? I mean, the dreamer of, like, everyone, like, all of our... Like, all of our dreams and hopes, all Twin Peaks is all in, like, the ravings of a lunatic mind. Like, that's basically what Lich is going to... Well, no. we're, we don't know that she's a lunatic. I mean, she obviously is suffered I just like to say the ravings trauma. of a lunatic mind. That's, like, from a movie, I think. I just like the, that turn of phrase. Yeah, I, just no, like the, yeah. just, I just like the way I think it's actually it from Young Frankenstein. The ravings oh, okay. of a lunatic mind. Yeah, go ahead. Sorry. But I don't think she's... Um, uh, yeah, dude, I don't think she's the dreamer, but I wouldn't put it past him. Because she's just... Well, dude, you know what? I think suddenly she's playing this huge role. You know what I mean? Like, she's vital here at the end isn't that fantastic yeah i'm completely i think fascinated. it's great this, this i'm, I'm happy for her i'm yeah. happy for sherilyn fenn yeah. audrey horn outside of agent cooper i think is the most iconic character of the original series uh, even though i think her storyline really fizzled out after you know you know the, the, the beginning part of the uh, second season but to have her especially after her introduction in this series which i think was episode 12 with this 10 minute and 37 second scene that was excruciating <laughs> for me but now lynch the genius lynch and frost it all makes sense and i knew well enough not to judge until the very end but to have her be the final scene of you know the penultimate episode or episodes or the finale is, I think, so yeah, integral, fascinating. It, it means something for not only her character, but I, I'm, like I said, I'm very happy for Sherilyn Fenn. Um, and uh, I, I, I don't know. I don't know. I, well, I don't know exactly how her character is going to fit into like Agent Cooper storyline, or even if she's going to fit into Agent Cooper storyline. But I would guess that it's going to have some kind of like you know narrative weight. It's not going to just be like we're going to see her in this white room uh, with, you know, the, the band Cream, you know, the white room song playing in the background and, you know, all these characters pop up Wizard of Oz style. I don't know what the hell is going to happen with her, but um, but at the bare minimum, if all we get is what we got tonight, like, you know, fantastic. It was a great. Yeah, that scene. would be amazing if that was just it for Audrey. That was it. Boom. Done. I wouldn't. I it wouldn't could happen. Surprise. Right? Well, what I was going to say, I got, uh, I got sidetracked. Audrey fans would be freaking out. <laughs> they would not. Like well, they that. should be thankful for it, what they've you know received tonight because that was such a guy. Some people might say fan service, and I don't think you know Lynch is a, is a really nostalgic or sentimental filmmaker. I'm sure you know we all are you know to some extent. Um, I think it's tied into the narrative, and I think he, he obviously is very you know big in intuition and how things like feel to him if they feel correct or not. And uh, I, I don't think I think it's tied into something. What I wanted to say was all of these theories about, you know, Twin Peaks, you know, alternate timelines and and, you know, dream, the, the dreams within a dream, all this stuff. We only got two hours left. And with some characters in some situations, we've got, you know, some of these, you know, you know, possibilities. But within Twin Peaks community, I really thought there was going to be some topsy turviness. You know, we saw the, you know, the, the subtle maybe foreshadowing with Ed seeing his reflection 
and with the double R at the end of episode seven, you know, with the with the diners seemingly being replaced and the the soundtrack having that ominous undercurrent to the uh, to the sleepwalk song, there was these clues that there was something that was going to happen, you know, with maybe you know the timeline or something, and and here we are, we only have two hours left, and I I, I don't know if we're going to get it, and I'm okay with that because it's been incredible. I was thinking like somehow, but before I interpreted the scene where they said it was like uh, he took me to a gas station by the the sheriff's department, which is what I thought she originally said. I was like, could could it possibly be that the convenience store could like appear like on top of the Twin Peaks Sheriff Station? Can they appear on top of another office? <laughs> Just absorb the entire thing. Just like Star- Darth Vader's Star Destroyer absorbed Princess Leia's ship in the beginning of uh, New right. Hope. So we're going to see the actual convenience store like show up on top of the yeah, Twin just, Peaks. Like a TARDIS, yeah, department. just take it out, yeah, take it over, just jump on top of it. Cuz I think that like that don't you think like it, I think we might see that thing again in the next 2 hours, right? No, I don't well, I, I I mean I think when it disappeared at the end of the last step, when we saw it last, right? It disappeared. That doesn't mean we won't see it again. Like or woodsman? Um, Do you think we're going to see any woodsman? Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, I, this is it. We've got two hours to go. Laura Palmer, Woodsman. I think we're going to see Bob. I think we're going to see Sarah. I think we're going to see Leland. There's Everybody's going to be a huge like the whole reunion. Everyone's coming. Mother. I well, Jumpy I mean, man? we're not going to get. I don't. Know. <laughs> I just think, especially with the Palmers and and Cooper, obviously returning to Twin Peaks. And uh, Mr. C returning or coming to Twin Peaks. It's all converging in the final two hours. We don't know if Cole and them are going to make it, the Blue Rose Task Force. They probably will. Um, I I have no idea what's going to unfold. We're going to try to sort it out when we do our preview. We might do a couple of episodes this week. We haven't figured out exactly what we're going to do yet. But this episode, here we go, episode 16. The last three with the Jackrabbit's Palace in 14 and the convenience store last episode, Sarah Palmer, and, oh, and yeah. this episode of The Return of Cooper. Really, I mean, wow. The momentum, mind-blowing. And, and I fully expect the final two hours to go above and beyond. And uh, I, I can't wait. I'm going to be sad that it's ending, that we won't have any new more, more episodes. I'm hopeful we'll get a new season. But I'm living in the moment. I'm so thankful, so happy. I loved seeing Agent Cooper it was so great. It made me think like, okay, what if we would have gotten him in five, six, seven? It would have been great. But then, you know, obviously he would have been his character. I'm sure we would have loved it. But to wait as long as we've had to wait, I, I, I'm, I'm, okay, I'm, I'm okay with it, obviously. But I think it was maybe for the best to do it so close to the end. And I really believe, and I told this to Murphy before we started, I think Lynch and Frost had like an end game in, pla- in place that th- that this return was going to be about the return of, of Agent Cooper and it was going to happen at the end. And they had very concrete ideas on where to take the story for a subsequent season. I don't think that they just ended it, blew their wad, and, oh, if we have another idea, we'll, you know, we'll pick it back up and God knows when. I think that they've got some definite blueprints that this is part of a master plan and i am very hopeful that a few weeks after the finale we will get a confirmation from showtime lynch frost whoever that we are going to get a season four. Oh man i would hope that i mean they've just introduced so much new mystery lore mythology they've opened so many storylines i mean i think they could just without introducing anything else like last two seasons they've got so much more i feel like they've got two seasons in them in one season at least. So we'll keep hoping for that, dude. Um, yeah, we'll probably do some more podcasts this week. Maybe a very special one. Uh, I don't know what day, but just stay tuned for that. Do you have any other final thoughts for this episode? No, I, that, I couldn't. I couldn't 
beat that. That was it. Well, it was say. a yeah, fantastic episode. Coop is back, everybody. And uh, in the meantime, let's just keep sending the ideas, the thoughts, the comments, all the great stuff we've been getting on Twitter, Facebook. Um, you guys have been, you know, you know, integral to helping us all solve this thing together um, as much as we could. And uh, we'd love it if you followed us, found us on iTunes, SoundCloud, uh, Podcast Addict, you know, give us reviews, all that good stuff. And I think that's it. Uh, until next time, uh, thanks for tuning in.